I imagine some of you aren't surprised by this one. Allow me to formally say that I am. I did not expect to hate this episode as much as I did. If it's not obvious, I just finished watching it. And I'm... I'm angry. This episode actually pissed me off over and over and over and over and over again. I don't know if you can read my notes here. Let me pull up my own preview pane here. Yeah, you, you, you see this? You see this? These are my thoughts on the end of the episode. I don't, I don't, I, I can't, I, I, okay, okay, okay. This episode was written by Gene Roddenberry and Arthur Singer. And it frickin' shows. This episode also uh, is the finale for everyone who isn't Uhura. Michelle Nichols was off at a singing gig, so she didn't get to come back. Um, so here's the thing. This is the finale of TOS. Great way to go out, right? No. In all sincerity, though, this, uh, this was pretty much normal for the time. They didn't want an actual finale, because every episode was intended to be slotted in wherever in the schedule. That was the, the approach at the time, so... There's not really an intro, and there's not really an outro. It's just another episode. Now, here's the funny thing. I was reading up on this, and I found out an entry about... Uh, I found an interview about... Oh, God, what's his name? I can't think of his name. The, the guy who was accused of killing his wife. Hang on, hang on. I gotta look up his frickin' name. This won't take me long. I know where to find it. I'll just pull up the name right here. Maybe. It's totally gonna be a thing. Please. Yeah, O.J. Simpson. There we go. O.J. Simpson. So, O.J. Simpson uh, actually came on the set and mentioned something about Kirk having devastating news and being flu and still doing his job. And he was impressed by that. And I'm like, well, wait, what's the devastating news? So I went digging a little bit deeper. And Memory Alpha corroborates this, but I found a few articles and interviews about this. Turns out, check this out, Shatner was informed on day four of filming that the show had been canceled. Just Shatner. You know why it was just Shatner? Because he was directing the next episode, which they'd already started pre-production on. Which they already had most of the script for. Uh, what do they call it? Um, oh, tell me, I didn't, I, uh, I didn't write down the episode. Uh, the Joy Machine. The Joy Machine was the name of it. It was supposed to be episode 25. Shatner was supposed to direct it. And it was by Meyer Dolinsky. He wrote Plato's Stepchildren. And Theodore Sturgeon, who worked on Amok Time. And the whole point of the episode, they, they had this whole thing where it was going to be, um, like there was this planet where you would do work. You know, you, you would actually put in your hours. But rather than being paid in money, you would be paid in allotment. And that allotment you could turn in, it, it basically was a form of currency, but you could turn it in to go into a joy machine and just experience pure joy, chemical joy, for a while. And people, of course, got very addicted to it, and blah, blah, blah. Interesting concept, actually. Sounds kind of neat. We'll never get it. I mean, there's actually a novelization version of it. But the point remaining that uh, that was, they were already in pre-production on that episode and the reason Shatner was informed was because he was going to direct it so he needed to be informed before everyone else at the end of day four of filming one of the co-producers came by and gave the formal announcement hey guys we've been cancelled so you remember what I mentioned last week about how I surely they were notified like a season ago because that's how things happen right nope they were informed while in the middle of filming the final episode Wow! <laughs> oh my god! Then check this out. 
because of reasons I'm not going to go into, uh, this episode was delayed in its original film broadcast. So this is the last episode by basically every metric, right? Uh, production order, you know, release order. But check this out. The previous episode came out in March. Uh, what was it, All or Yesterdays or whatever? I can't actually remember the name of it. It came out in March. This episode came out June 3rd. Oh, my God. Also, Galloway's back for some reason. You remember him? He's the guy who got disintegrated back in the Omega Glory, which is also a Roddenberry script. Huh. Oh, my God. They get a distress call. Actually, before I go any further, I hate this episode, if it's not obvious, if my attitude doesn't get it across here. But I want to give praise where praise is due. Sandra Smith, who plays Lester and Kirk, is a good actress. She does a really good job of playing Kirk. I, at no point, had any problem believing that was him. Now, I point that out because, I don't know, maybe I'm just a weirdo because I've been studying people since I was a child, but there's certain mannerisms, uh, methods of speech and how they interact, how the, the facial movements, little tics that they do. If you've watched me for a while, you've probably noticed I have quite a few, too. You could generally tell if it's me. If I was to switch bodies right now, I would still have all the same tics, the same verbal me methods, the same uh, uh, the, the same ways I kind of switch my voice around as I'm talking. You notice I kind of wave up and down as I'm speaking. You know, all these things that I do, I would still do. You could still tell it's me, even if I was suddenly in a woman's body or in a different man's body or in a child's body or an, or an older person's body or whatever. You could tell it's me. That's what I want to give praise to. Shatner does a pretty good job of playing Lester, and Sandra Smith does a pretty good job of playing Kirk. Credit where credit is due. There's also one good scene in the episode, but as we've already established, one good scene does not salvage an episode from Lamentation status anymore. And thank God for that, because screw this stupid episode. So they get a distress call. They go down to Coleman and Lester. Okay, cool. Oh yeah, for clarity's sake, I'm going to refer to Lester in Kirk's body as Lester and her, and Kirk in Lester's body as Kirk and him, just to make it simplistic, because that's who they are, right? Anyways, uh, again, credit to the actress. Lester just, the moment she notices Kirk is there, she just glares at him, just daggers. And then she goes back to playing weak. Oh, no. And it turns out here is yet another old flame of Kirk's. He's got, sure got a lot of those. Thankfully, as Kirk is roaming around the room, he just happens to walk exactly where he needs to for the body swap thing to happen. Wow, that is sure awfully convenient. Thank goodness for that, huh? Phew. Now, there's a line that Lester says... Your woman of your world of starship captains does not allow me. You know, women can't be captain, right? I, I forget the exact quote. I should probably pull it up because, well, let's just say that people have bent over backwards over the years to try and justify that quote because that's horrible. Your world of starship captains doesn't admit women. There you go. There's the exact quote. Okay. Allow me to give you answer explanation number one. She is insane, criminally, viciously, psychotically, and I don't mean that as an insult, but more of a statement of fact, insane. This woman is cuckoo for Cocoa Puffs. <laughs> I mean, immediately after the swap happens, here's another quote which I happen to have right here. 
Believe me, it's better be dead than live alone in the body of a woman. And later on, she's like, oh, I won't go back. I won't. She, she is nuts. So that's expl possible explanation number one. So, yeah, she. this is where I note that she is completely bonkers, and she has... The, oh, I wrote down that quote here, too. It better be dead than alone in the body of a woman. Then Col Coleman is a terrible liar, who also is terrible at improv, who is also complicit on mass murder. I remind you that she is also complicit on mass murder by actually killing all her staff. Why? At no point in time is it mentioned any reason why she had to have all those people killed for no good reason. And Coleman's totally cool with going along with all of this, by the way. That's important. Remember that. He is a willing accessory to mass murder. Okay? Cool. Then, <clears throat> Lester calls up. Now, this is actually another nice subtlety point. It's not that subtle, but it's a nice little tidbit. Every time she refers to herself, she says, Captain Kirk. This is Captain Kirk. Captain Kirk, come in. Now, I told you, we all have our verbal tics, and Kirk doesn't do that. Kirk here, Kirk here, come in, come in. Like, he, he says it in that particular pattern, too, of voice speech. It's all very clipped and very efficient. Come on, Scotty, Kirk here, come on. You know, it's just, let's go, let's go, let's go. Instead of her, like, enunciation thing, as if she's trying to lay things down, right? Anyways... So, uh, yeah, she's a, there's, you know, there's this terrible lying and blah, blah, blah. And there's this one bit where Kurt, excuse me, excuse me, I'm already screwing up my, my, uh, my names here. Lester is being interrogated about it and admits a few things. Like, for example, um, oh, do I not, did I not write down the exact wording? I thought I wrote it down. Oh, there it is. I did write it down. I walked out on her when it got serious. I am the reason that, you know, she, we, we see through her recitation of what happened, how she slanted what happened and how she has rearranged it in her criminally insane mind. This also leads me to explanation number two for the earlier quote. The exact quote was, his world. In short, the explanation is that he is referring to the, his world of being a starship captain, which does not include women. I don't like that explanation because it doesn't line up. After all, what she wants is to be a captain. And she was drummed out of that because she was too unstable and emotionally incompetent in order to do so. So, no dice on that one. Kirk. <laughs> Excuse me. Doing it again. Lester. I have a note, and it's already at this point. Why can everyone not tell this is not Kirk? Answer me that. Now, there's two possible answers here. It depends on how cynical you are. I want you to imagine that you're at work and someone starts acting differently. It's not super noticeable, but they are acting differently. Their, their speech patterns, their physical patterns, the kind of orders they give, everything they do is just a little bit off. Now, question number one, do you notice? Now, I mean no judgment, but let's be honest, there's a pretty good chance that most of us, and I include myself in that, would probably not notice. because. Most of us don't study humans as a, as a hobby for, you know, 30 years. But more importantly, most of us don't give a damn about our jobs. And why should we, right? So you're probably not paying attention. It's the Fight Club thing all over again, right? The, the, the author came home, beaten, or came to work, beaten and bruised, and nobody even asked any questions, right? It's the same concept. But let me flip that for a second. Let me now assume that you're working at a job that you like. 
with people that you like at not just a job but work an actual career that you care about and invest yourself in and now assume someone comes in who you have daily contact with and know pretty well and now they're acting all suspicious and weird now answer my question and you see why I find this ridiculous you know what's funny for years the I'm acting out of character but nobody can tell thing has pissed me off because it basically relies on character stupidity it is a form of the idiot ball and it's pissed me off in Star Trek in particular but I have never been as pissed off as in this episode for how aggressively they grab the idiot ball let me tell you what happens in the next scene check this out she spent years years studying how to be a starship captain no to know what to do everything's super cool okay got it so she immediately uh, is suspicious and actively goes against medical advice and gives very confusing and weird orders okay great idea immediately after this she starts to argue with Spock excessively praise to Shatner by the way he, he really does portray a different character completely then she argues and snaps at the ensign and then rushes off the bridge in high dungeon everything in that scene very clearly and demonstrably says something is up at the very least something is up that is probably not Kirk and if it is something is definitely wrong right you remember how Spock was able to tell with a single line of dialogue that Kirk had replaced an Android you remember that I, I miss those days now in fairness Spock suspects something but no one else is just like, eh. We're at the 15-minute mark, by the way. I point that out because 15 minutes is very early on. We're still basically in Act 1. And already she has completely blown her cover, and no one is calling her on it. McCoy then decides to personally confront Lester. Lester gives no good answer to any of McCoy's questions. And at this point... Uh, McCoy decides to say, hey, I think you're acting a little bit weird. I'm going to go ahead and take you in for ex you know, examinations and tests. And Lester freaks out. Completely just... <clears throat> and goes way out of character, again, further demonstrating this. This is 18 minutes into the episode. It's the next scene! Oh. Meanwhile, Kirk wakes up. Kirk should be able to figure out what's going on, excuse me, should be able to explain what's going on in seconds. Instead, what Kirk does is say over and over, I am not Janice Lester. I'm not Janice Lester. I'm not Janice Lester. How much does Kirk know that he could just blurt out that would make you go, wait a second. If I was suddenly into the body of a woman and I had to convince my sister, that's a bad example because my sister and I are probably closer than anyone else I'm close to in the world. So let's say someone I'm kind of close to, like Nurse Chapel. Um... Say Reximus, he's he's a friend of mine and a viewer. And if I had to convince him very, very quickly and efficiently that it's me and not some random stranger, I could think I, I have just thought of, I'm not gonna share them, but I've just thought of three separate things I could say just as a quick blah kind of a thing to immediately at the very least get his attention and be like, wait a second, you should know about that. Which would then get me the time necessary to properly elaborate. It is so easy to prove that that is Kirk. It is so monstrously easy. He should have access to command codes. He should have access to personal information. He should have access to memories from people that weren't actually on record. There are things that he should be able to recite or, or mention or at least have personal connections with other people. It should be astonishingly, mind-numbingly easy for him to prove that he's Kirk on every level. 
Instead, that doesn't happen. So he decides to play along because he's Kirk. Can I see McCoy? No, there's strict orders you can't see McCoy. What? And no one thinks it's suspicious that there are direct orders that the local head physician has been explicitly ordered to not visit with... Okay. Nobody questions that? Okay. Okay. You notice, by the way, that in this scene, he does exactly what I mentioned. He accidentally blurts out, We're going to miss our rendezvous with this ship in this area. Demonstrating intimate knowledge of exactly what their current mission is and their upcoming agenda that he should not know, or rather the, that Janice Lester should not know. <sighs> Let me pause for a moment. The thing is, there's two ways you could have done this episode. They did neither. What you could have done is either have you know, some some other thing gets involved so that Janice is, does a better job of infiltrating the ship, which could at least, sh you know, throw some kind of suspicion on Kirk's actual claim of being Kirk, right? Um, the changelings over in DS9 have ridiculous intelligence-gathering capabilities. They use that and their perfect memory, you know, remember Odo has that super perfect memory too, in order to have basically access to the wiki. That's effectively how the changelings infiltrate. They've, they've, they've done their research, they've got the wiki. They can't know everything, and they don't know everything, and they do slip up every now and again. But they can access that and be like, okay, I should act like this, and I should do this, and I should reference this, and just... And they're just doing this as they're infiltrating people, right? So there's ways to make that work. They didn't do that. Uh, Janice Lester is a pathetically terrible imitator of Kirk. I'm pretty sure I, in real life, could imitate Kirk better than she does. Then, <laughs> in fact, Sandra Smith does a, uh, an excellent job of, of, of imitating Kirk. Anyways, anyways, second option. She is terrible at it, and everyone figures it out pretty quickly, and the threat of the episode, by the way, by the way this is a threat episode, the threat then becomes how do we fix it and how do we resolve it rather than, you know, trying to figure out if there's a thing at all. You'll notice the episode gets resolved in the last, like, minute. Just, everything's better. I'll get to that in a second. Remember all those question marks? Either way, they don't do either of these. So what this means is she's terrible at infiltrating, and everyone goes along with it like it's fine. This is the idiot ball. The idiot ball, for those of you not aware, who have never actually... I'm sorry, can I borrow you, Dive? You're not idiotic. I want to make you know that, Dive, okay? Love you. So pretend this is the idiot ball. I thought you said... No, no, it's just, it's, we're playing pretend, okay? Okay. This is the idiot ball, okay? The way the idiot ball works is whoever's holding it at any given point in time is acting not just stupid, because that's easy. Plenty of characters act stupid. Maybe they've got some kind of stressor, or maybe there's something going on, or they're under certain effects, or maybe they're just a stupid character. But no. The idiot ball is when they're acting stupidly in a way that is out of character. If I was to grab this and just start mass cussing, or being excessively violent, or there's something that's just really out of character for me, that would be me holding the idiot ball. That's the concept, okay? Can I go now? Yes, you can. Thank you. You're amazing. That's the idiot ball concept, and that is what the crew of the Enterprise grips 
with a death grip this entire episode. This then cuts to Spock and McCoy, who are talking about, oh, he's just got this aberrant behavior, and the whole crew is noticing it. Remember that, by the way. The whole crew is noticing it. Maybe maybe we should do something about it? Yeah. This then leads to Lester successfully escaping, or excuse me, uh, I'm sorry, I read my note there and I mistook Kirk escaping and Lester attacking him. Now that actually that actually makes me laugh, I will admit, because of course Kirk can find some way to escape even under these circumstances. Although his restraints are terrible, but the restraints on TOS have always been terrible. I just want to comment on it real quick. Either way, he escapes, and then she attacks him, knocks him out, right in front of everybody, and then orders her to be... Yes, I'm going to go say that. He's like, oh, I order you to be sent away and, and be, you know, <laughs> locked away and never do anything. I love this because Kirk rushes up and says, no, Bones. First of all, Bones. Just, just saying, we do have some pet names or friend names for each other and not many people call McCoy Bones. I don't even call him that. Bones, Spock, I've got to talk to you. And then, you know, he sees the situation. Blurt out something. But no. Instead, this leads to a dual scene where McCoy and Spock both try to suss out the truth. McCoy tries to go for the factual truth, whereas Spock tries to go and just interrogate Lester, a.k.a. Kirk. The physical shows nothing. Okay, you know what? That doesn't bother me that much. Meanwhile, Kirk is explaining things to Spock, and this is when the episode just really started to piss me off. Because... Because that's freaking Spock. You remember my, my comment earlier about the co-worker thing? Or Rax? Well, this is now officially the equivalent of me and my sister. There is no one on the planet I am closer to than my sister. She knows me better than anyone else on this earth. She would be able to tell it's me within seconds. And Spock, who, no offense to my dear beloved sister, is a super genius and also very observant, should be able to suss that out just as quickly, if not quicker. What's really frustrating, then, is he Spock couldn't even figure out which Kirk was which back and whom God's destroy. Remember that? At least Nimoy was pissed about that one. And then... Just say something. You know, Kirk's like, well, let me let me mention these two missions. Okay, how about you mention the fake death thing and the Ponfar, things that you didn't tell anyone and never actually got into your report. Just just to name two examples. How about you mention command codes or their current mission path or anything else? Finally, they go for the freaking mind meld. <sighs> Thank God. They decide to finally convince us. This, is, this isn't even halfway through the episode. They finally convince someone of the fact that that's Kirk. Meanwhile, the episode decides, you know what? That, that, that wound that I have stabbed into your mind needs a cigarette butt put out in it. And so what happens is this wonderful psychiatric test that McCoy undergoes to determine the emotional stability of Kirk, a.k.a. Lester, says that, Kirk, a.k.a. Lester, is exactly the same as Kirk was when he took that test last. What kind of day was he going through? This is stupid. This is every level of stupid. There is absolutely no reason whatsoever that this test should be picking up the fact that Kirk is totally fine. 
the only reason that exists whatsoever is to provide the artificial drama of, oh no, maybe, maybe it is Kirk, but maybe it isn't. I don't know, we can't, it's Starfleet Command, and then there's just, we need evidence. This is bullcrap. Excuse me, but this is bullcrap. That exists only for the sake of padding out artificial drama. Melodrama, or let me, let me use it in my own terminology, drama. You could tell I'm getting, I'm getting angry all over again because this frickin' test. So then, if you saw the giant what, this is this is my reaction to the test here. Oh, and this word is, of course, the word mutiny. Mutiny! Mutiny! I charged Spock with mutiny! So they decide to have a convent, convening to, to charge Spock with mutiny. I wrote something down in my notes. Forgive me. <clears throat> Naturally, the crew picks up immediately now, seeing in contrast... Nope! Let me explain that really quick. You remember back in Let, there, Let That Be Your Last Battlefield? I mentioned how, initially, at a glance, it didn't occur to me that the white and the black sides were swapped between uh, Loki and Beale. Right? So... It wasn't obvious until the two were standing right next to each other. Okay? Now, not that I'm willing to give the episode this, but maybe what the crew needed was to see the real Kirk in immediate contrast to the fake Kirk. In so doing, they would be able to see that contrast right in front of them, because we as people tend to pick up contrast more than we pick up other things, right? Ergo the idea that they would now be like, Aha! And they could see it. No. No, instead, Lester actually manages to run the court for quite a while and even makes a few jokes about how silly and ridiculous Kirk's argument and Spock's arguments are. Wow. Really increasing my uh, faith in Starfleet and the crew of the Enterprise right there. Sorry about that. I think they were fixing the door or something. I just, I just paused to let them finish. I was getting hard to concentrate. <sighs> Lester argues with Kirk. And Kirk just crushes Lester. And naturally, Lester isn't a good debater, which means that Lester just kind of starts losing her cool and loses her ability to debate back, loses her ability to make rational arguments, and just kind of goes with, orders a mutiny. Now, this is immediately followed by Spock debating with Lester. And Spock, well, this is closer to a moth versus a hurricane. Spock crushes her. Naturally, she wigs out. Unfortunately, this then leads to the big climax dilemma. What do we do? The test proves that it's Kirk. God, that's so stupid. We do have our one good scene. Scotty and McCoy meet in the hallway. And basically, they, they talk about how they're going to have to mutiny about this. And McCoy mentions how Starfleet will do whatever. And Scotty's response is, Starfleet has its problems, we have ours. Right here, right now, on the front, in the trenches, we need to mutiny and get rid of whatever that is. Red-faced hysteria is what he called it. It's a good scene, because the, if you divorce it from the entire rest of all reality and just look at that scene, what you have is two people who very quietly realize that they are destroying their careers because they know what they have to do. It's well acted, well presented, and a spot of brightness in this otherwise dreck episode. 
The thing is, the thing that doesn't really help salvage it is the fact that it's still nonsense, because the only reason this scene has any weight behind it at all is because of that goddamned test. So, Sulu and Chekhov kind of go along with the execution order. What? And then the security staff go along with it, too. I'm going to say that one more time, because I, like, I feel like that needs to be reiterated. As far as everyone's aware, James T. Kirk orders the execution of Spock, McCoy, and Scotty. And the security staff just go along with that. Explain that one to me. By all means, I'll listen. I should have done the telegram gag again. I wasn't ready for it. I, I have to plan gags in advance, otherwise I can't set it up and do editing properly. So, no gag today. Sorry, guys. Too angry for it. Oh, my God. Now, Chekhov and Sulu, I was really pissed they went along with this. Then they go to the bridge and immediately say that they're not going along with this. So what was... Why did... Okay. Do note that their refusal to go along with this almost gets the captain killed. You know, the real one. Since they allow all of them to be put in a cell and nearly get murdered. Lester then freaks out so hard that it starts to undo everything. I'm not even going to try to explain that one. And then they go down and they have the big final confrontation, and Lester's back in her body and freaks out. This then leads to this episode pissing me off one last time. Coleman, oh, this is how I've loved you. Or I, I forget how he phrased it. I loved you. Hang on, do, do I have the exact quote? Give me a second. It's something really dumb. You are as I loved you. There it is. That's what he says. Notice that the quote he says this in reaction to is, I'm never going to be captain. Never. Kill him. What? Coleman, who, let's, let's keep this in mind, because I mentioned this earlier, is an, as a willful and willing accessory to mass murder. I mean, there's other things he's done that are pretty bad, too, but let's, let's just stop the bar at the masked murder part. <sighs> masked, not masked. Masked murder is a whole other thing. That's a Batman episode at that point. No, mass murder. And I'll go take care of her. What? Are you seriously telling me that they're going to allow this criminally insane mass murderer to go with her absolutely morally bankrupt mass murder accessory and they're all just going to walk off into the distance and he'll take care of her and they I wanted to slug something actually I have boxing gloves now I should have brought one on and just be like because god damn it really that's how you're going to end the episode and then the episode just kind of stops. It's like, oh, well, it undid it, and and Coleman goes off and gets to have a happy labor after with his mass murderous. I'm not letting that go. The end? What the hell? This is how Star Trek ended. I'm going to share a small theory with you. And I mean this sincerely. By the time this episode had was actually aired, remember it was months of a gap there, 
they were already starting to talk about setting up the convention circuit, the, the initial convention. Obviously, that wouldn't happen for a few years, but that was something that was already being pushed by several people. And there were already talks about trying to shop around for the animated series, which would eventually become a thing. I, ha I, I posit to you now that that would not happen if this episode had gone live when it was supposed to. And I know what you're thinking, but why? It's just this one episode. Yeah, but it's the last episode. Regardless of all of the reasonability and fairness, we as people, and I include myself in this, tend to most strongly remember two parts of a work. The beginning and the end. And the end is what we're left with. The end is the last thing we see, and thus the thing that is most likely to resonate most strongly with us. Real quick, what do you remember about Dear Doctor? Go. Now, how many of you mentioned the allowing the people to die to, to you know, because pseudo-prime directive thing? Yeah, that's the last five minutes of that episode. The other 40 leading up to it is a surprisingly good episode, as I discovered, to my surprise, when I went back through it for the Season 2 stuff. But guess what stuck with me? If this episode had been the finale, I really believe there would have either been less support for it, or it would have taken longer for the Trek phenomenon to actually get the ball rolling. I'm not saying this would be willing to kill it by itself, but I do think this was a contributing factor. Go figure. <sighs> Despite this... Oh, by the way, I'm putting this at the bottom. This is the worst episode of TOS, in my opinion. What do we have? One, two, three, four, five, six, seven lamentations. Not that huge of a skip list. I'm looking at it right now. We've got... Um, I'll I'll do a video on this. I'll do a thing on this. I'm not going to recite it now. And I'm not going to record that video now. I'm going to record that video about a year from now, actually. Yes, really. So whatever you see next week is a year from now, from my perspective. But despite Turnabout Intruder, despite And the Children Shall Lead, and The Apple, and The Way to Eden, and The Alternative Factor, and A Private Little War, and The Mark of Gideon, despite all of that junk... I'm reminded of, I really am legitimately raw-minded of why I love TOS so damned much. It has its lows, it has its highs, but damn, those highs were awesome. Ladies and gentlemen, I really do hope you've enjoyed this run-through of this classic series with me. Warts and all. I'll see you next week for our conclusion video, guys.